We're working our way through the Gospel of Mark and have now reached Mark 14, uh, verses 43 to 52. However, to give context to it, uh, the more I've spent time with this, um, I want to read from verse 26, which is what Neil dealt with a couple of weeks ago. Um, It's quite a long reading, but it's necessary really to give the flow and and to explain where I'm coming from. So Mark 14, 26, right through to 52. And this is just after the Last Supper. Right. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for as it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, which is the bit we forget. They all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. And he came, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the, temple te- in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all, all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And we'll stop there. As usual, I've got three points to hang my comments on. But first, let me just talk about this, this young man who ran away naked. I have no idea why that verse is in there. You don't hear about him. You don't know the context. You don't know he was just a guy who should have kept his undies on 
And I can't think of any other application to that word than make sure you keep your undies on. <laughs> that all right? There's nothing else to say, really. So let's get to my three points. The choice of obedience, the cost of obedience, and the joy of obedience. The choice of obedience. For me, the verses we've just read together are some of the most powerful of all the verses in Scripture. After they'd eaten the Passover and they'd broken, had the meal together and they'd broken bread together, we're told the disciples they sang a hymn. I wonder how Jesus felt as he was singing the hymn. He knew what was coming. He tried to explain it to his disciples, and in their love for Jesus, they promised to stand with him and never deny him or desert him, but they didn't really understand what was coming. They didn't even understand themselves terribly well. Full of good intentions. This was something that had been coming throughout the whole of the life of Jesus. The perfect man. And he knew, and he knew, and he explained it to the disciples, the day will come. And from getting to a place where they said, well, no, no, we'd never let that happen. They, they, they knew something was coming, but they still had no sense of immediacy. They still had no sense, well, you know, the, the Lord will be okay. You know, when you, you hear people say things, you go, oh, yeah, but somewhere inside you think, yeah, but it'll be all right, won't it? Do you ever have that? It's like people have heard about me reaching, I'm 65, and people say, oh, well. But you never really think it'll stop till it stops. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's, it's a bit like Raj. It's great. He keeps saying, you'll put it down, you'll pick it up again. Because you don't really want it to change greatly. You still, people still want you around. They still want to know. You still want Jesus around. They still want to know. He, he's not really going to be gone. But Jesus knew. And he's singing a hymn. And so they all go to the garden. And Jesus is increasingly full of dread. He takes Peter, James, and John on a little way ahead. And this is the moment all his life was about. And he said to the three disciples, his three closest friends, will you, will you watch with me? He didn't tell them what to watch for. But will you just, as it were, stand guard? I've got to go over there. I want to pray. Will you watch with me? But it was late. The disciples were tired. And so Jesus goes and starts to pray in agony of soul. And his friends fell asleep. Jesus is pleading with the Father. Is there any other way that sin, the sin of humanity, can be dealt with? Is there any other way? Can you take this cup of suffering away from me? Is it at all possible he's in agony of soul. He, you imagine as a human being, you know you are, you are headed into the most torturous, painful, suffering time. All, all the stuff's coming. You know what's coming. You know you have to suffer. You, you, you don't actually know every detail, but you know. I don't know if you ever rehearse things in your mind. Do you ever worry about things? Any worriers in the room? 
you're all lying. Anybody worry? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a... I come from a family of worry warts. We, we rehearse everything in our mind. You've got this to face and you start imagining what it'll be like going through this. Do you? Do you? Not everybody lives there, but I do. That's why I said to God, I'll be anything, anything except a church leader. Because it hurts too much to be a church leader. So I'll do anything you want, God. So here I am. <laughs> you if you start rehearsing things and imagining how it will be in your mind, it gets worse. It gets worse, doesn't it? You go around and it gets worse. It's a bit like having to go and see the headmaster when you're at school about something and you start going, oh, I wonder. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. But 99 times out of 100, for us, we worry and worry and worry. And when we go through it, it wasn't as bad as we thought. But I go to the dentist. It's bad, but it could have been an awful lot. That wasn't that bad. For the threat this year, I've had now had four injections into the white of my left eyeball. And if somebody told me a few months before, oh, you're going to have to have some injections, and you, you'd, you'd worry about it. You'd, you'd kind of think, well, you know, you'd, you'd rehearse it and think, oh. And Raj wouldn't go because he's a doctor. And, and he knows. But you've got to face it. You know what? It was nothing like as bad. Everybody else goes, oh. But I think, well, it could be a lot worse. And praise God, the injections are working, so I mustn't complain. But so we, we worry and things generally aren't as bad. But, but Jesus is looking forward. He's looking now, knows what's coming. And you know what? It's going to be worse. Not better. It's going to be worse than he could ever imagine. That's what Jesus is facing. He prays a number of times, wrestles it out with the Father. Is there any other way? Goes back to the disciples. They're asleep. Couldn't you manage just one hour with me, my friend? Moments before, Peter's been professing his undying support. Even if I die, I will, you can rely on me. As did all the others. So Jesus goes and prays again. Peter sleeps again. So as Jesus is praying, to all intents and purposes, he's utterly alone. He doesn't have any friends who can stay awake with him. He can't talk it out with anybody. He's just talking to the Father, and he's, he's facing the agony of a choice that has to be made. That's incredible. It's so bad now, his sweat is starting to come as drops of blood. The, the anguish, the worry, the stress. We hear a lot, oh, well, people are stressed. Really? We all get stressed. As a church leader, you get stressed. We give it to the Lord, and we get stressed. And you know what, Raj? Now you're the senior leader. You'll get even more stressed, just to bless you. But, but, yeah, but, but, for, but none of us ever get stressed to the point of sweating blood. This is something very rare. This is agony. We can't actually imagine 
the suffering, the pain, the, the emotion that Jesus was going through. And yet this was the most momentous choice in history that was being made. He was about to be betrayed by a friend and his other friends would desert him. He's wrestling in prayer, facing the cost head on. And then he makes the choice. In all that's coming upon me, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He makes that choice in the cold light of day. And we read in Luke's account of the his, story that an angel appeared to him and comforted him. Jesus says to us in Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does denying ourselves daily and taking up our cross and following Jesus. What does it look like doing that every day? It's about our saying to God, your will is paramount in my life. I live for your will. That's what it looks like has all sorts of applications, but at the root of it, it says, your will overrides my will. I choose. That's what it looks like. Take up our cross daily. It doesn't sound like, oh yeah, I just took my cross up. No, that sounds horrible. It doesn't mean every day is a dread. It means there are sacrifices to be made every day when we follow Jesus. Choices to be made in line with the will of God every day. I worry quite a lot when I hear people say, oh, because of grace, you know, we believe in Jesus, and now we can do what we like. No, he saved us so that we can live for God. We couldn't do it before with all our good efforts and good intentions and everything else, but he saved us now so we can live for God. I've heard people say that Jesus didn't really have a choice in the garden. They say, after all, the cross is why he came, so it wasn't really a choice. He was just praying a prayer. That's simply not true and completely mis misunderstands the cost of the cross. So it comes to my second point, which is the cost of obedience. The choice Jesus made was he made knowing what he was facing. I've talked about that, much of what he was facing. The rejection, the betrayal, the ridicule, the suffering and the dying. He saw it all and chose it. And as I say, he knew it was probably worse than he could ever imagine. What Jesus could not have known was that at the moment on the cross when all the sin of humanity, your sin, my sin, was placed upon him, 
He could not have been prepared for that. He could not have known at that point the father would turn his face away. Not being able to look on the sin, the man who has made sin, he would turn away. Yes, yes, father always loved the son, but he had to turn away. At that moment, there was a barrier between father and son that there had never been in all of the eons of time and beyond and eternity. And so, so Jesus cries out, Mark 15, 34, with a loud voice on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He couldn't be prepared for that. He wouldn't have, oh, I know this is going to happen. He wouldn't, he couldn't. He has to face the cost of your sin and my sin upon himself and it brought a separation between father and son within the Trinity, first time ever, never since or before. For this moment in time, even the Godhead is shattered because of your sin, because of my sin. That's the nub of it. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did. And he faced it. But he couldn't have been prepared for that. But everything that he was prepared for, he chose. He chose it. Understand, he chose it. It wasn't a given. He chose it. That's powerful, isn't it? Don't you think that's just amazing? I, I just think such love. Jesus makes the choice and Judas comes bringing those who would arrest him. The authorities had wanted Jesus arrested for ages but they were afraid of public opinion. They needed someone to give them an inside track. Someone who knew Jesus well and, and Judas was that man. What a terrible thing to be remembered for. It's important we understand that Judas, Judas, he was, Judas was very much one of the twelve. Jesus had chosen him too. A guy whom Jesus had invested his love and teaching and everything in. And yet this guy, for 30 pieces of silver, betrays Jesus to the authorities. And they come at night. All of these things always happen in the dark. They come at night where there's less people around. It's so dark, in fact, that they need Judas to make plain which one of these people in the dark is Jesus. And so the betrayer comes with a kiss. A kiss. Imagine the pain of being betrayed with a kiss from one of your dearest friends. Then someone swings a sword. Probably one of the disciples chops off the ear of the high, servant of the high priest. Could get, could get messy now. Blood has been shed. It could, it could get messy. And Jesus steps in straight away. We're told in Luke 25, 51, Jesus touches the ear and heals it. And I'm going to, I want to read from Matthew's rendering, actually, of this story. Matthew 26, 52 to 54. And Jesus says to the guy who's just chopped the ear off. He says, put your sword back in its place. 
for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. We don't need any holy wars here, thank you. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? The choice Jesus made in the garden was a real choice. Rather than choose the cross, he could have said to the Father, Enough, please send angels. And and the Father would have sent the twelve legions and more to rescue his son. (coughs) And he would have done it straight away. (coughs) Excuse me. Yet Jesus denied himself. He denied himself the rescue. He denied himself the bailing out. And he says, your will, (coughs) but not mine, be done. Now, at this point, I want to ask a question. Why? What motivated Jesus to deny himself and submit to the will of the Father? I've heard people say many times that Jesus chose the cross out of love for you and I. It's perfectly fine to say that. He's part of the Godhead. But I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks because I haven't preached so much. And this one's been going round and round in my head. There are many things that motivate the decisions we make in life. Being a, a lover of self is a big one. My need, my ambition, my desire, my dream, my career, my family, my hunger. All of those things are motivators. How about caring for others is a big one. Big motivator. Helping others going through pain and suffering. That motivates us. Looking around the world at the billions of people who are lost in their sin can be a huge motivator in taking the gospel to them. All of these motivators are understandable. Some are excellent. Some are not excellent. Some are to be commended. But are any of those motivators that I've just mentioned enough? Are any of them enough? What motivated Jesus to make the choice for the cross? Here's where I've got to in my thinking. What motivated the choice Jesus made in the garden was love for the Father. It was the Father's will, the Father's plan, and out of pure love for the Father, Jesus chose the cross. John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Father gave his Son. Incredible thing if, if those of you who are parents to know, you know, the Father gave, and this is, this is God the Father giving God the Son, the perfect one. That's a huge thing. The third person of the Trinity, they are one, co-equal, co-existent. Incredible thing. The Father gave his Son why? 
because the Father loves humanity. He loves the world. That motivates the love of the Father rescued us by sending Jesus the Son. He gave him. He gave him. Do you remember the story of of, uh, Abraham uh, when he's got Isaac and and God says, I want you to sacrifice him. And we all go, wow, that's a bit weird. I want you to put him on altar. I want you to kill him. Abraham demonstrates something, the principle I'm talking about, because you know what? He loved his son, but he loved God more and would have sacrificed his son, but God intervened and gave him a ram. God intervened. But if it hadn't been for God's intervention, Abraham would have sacrificed his son. Wow, but I love my son, but I love God more. God the Father, God is love, from the throne in heaven flows the love of God that's relentless and persevering. And he pursues you, and he pursues me, and he pursues all of humanity. But he can't change our sin. He's got to rescue us. He's got, the only way he can do it is for God himself to take our sin, to become sin, and to pay the price for our sin. So rather than we pay the price, he does it for us. So he does that by giving the perfect Jesus. Wow. The man who became God. It was the Father's will that sent Jesus. Amazing. Isaiah 53.10 tells us it was the Lord, the Father's will, to crush Jesus. How would you do that with your son? Here's your son, my perfect son, the one whom I love, the one who spoke the world into being, this perfect son. Father gives his son for you and for me. That is love. That is the gospel. It, didn't, it wasn't cheap. It wasn't, oh yeah, God solved it. People say, well, why doesn't God do, do something? God did the biggest thing that could ever be done in history. He gave his son for you and for your next door neighbor and for the people you work with and for all the world. He gave his son. That is love. It's astonishing. It's jaw-dropping. Jaw-dropping, even. I must be a bit dry. And so we can say, well, Jesus went to the cross for me. Yes, he did. But he chose it out of love for the Father. Do you get it? Out of love for the Father. It's the Father's will that's the paramount thing in the life of Jesus. And he's 12. Do you remember? He, he disappears from his, his family. He's, he's, they're on a trip and they can't find him. And they go into the, the synagogue and they find him there. And he says, don't you know, I need to be in my father's house. And Joseph says, it's not my house, I'm a carpenter. Now, don't you know, it was about the father. The, his, he loved the father. Jesus loves the Father. 
with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And that's why he chose the cross. Now you might ask, why have you focused on that? Well, I've discovered over the years that all other motivators for right choices let us down in the end. There's loads of them. I remember when I was about 16, I had a friend. Well, I had more than one, but I had a friend. And he was heading into the ministry. Actually, in fact, seven of us were heading into the ministry. We were young. We were all of the same mindset. We wanted to take on the world. Young, in the Salvation Army, telling people about Jesus. We had a youth fellowship of 35. It's great. We used to get a, about 50 young people came off the streets into amongst us on a Sunday night. And we just carried on worshipping and giving our testimonies. And people got saved. We travelled to different parts of Northern Ireland and Scotland, doing meetings and doing drama and all sorts of stuff. We were... We were up for it. We were on an an adventure. I remember those days. I loved them. I was the youngest. I was about, when that started, I was about 14 and a half, and some of the others were like 18 and 19, but I seemed to fit in really well. Anyway, we were of this mindset, and we wanted to take on the world, and and of course we all, we we had a terrible, we were a Salvation Army. We had a huge compassion for the lost, those dying in their sin. And of course we all loved Jesus. I love him more now. But as far as I was able, I love Jesus. And one day my friend met a lovely Christian girl who had no interest in heading into the ministry. However, my friend developed a great interest in her. And so he chose her, and his life took a completely different direction. Now, I'm not judging that or saying it was wrong. Because you know what? God works with us. God's full of grace. It's not like one, the will of God is not this narrow little thing. There are all sorts of streams. But what you'll find on the way, there are many motivators. And I, I wish, wish now I'm 60, I wish when I was 16 I knew what I know now. But we don't. And so we work out our life. And we make our choices. So I'm not saying he was wrong. I think they got married and perfectly happy and all that. Very interesting, though, out of the seven of us, there's very, maybe one went into the ministry other than me, uh, and I didn't go into the ministry straight away. Because enthusiasm is not enough. Other motivators come your way. I'm not saying he was wrong. Please don't hear that. But what I am saying is that the biggest motivator in our lives will be what our greatest love is. The biggest motivator will be what our greatest love is. What is your greatest love? And you can wrap it up and spiritualize it and say all sorts of stuff, but, you know, let's cut through that. You may not be able to answer it right now, but I would encourage you to ask God, what is my greatest love?
Jesus' greatest love was the Father. He loved his disciples, and of course he loves the world, and he is part of the Godhead, but I think as we look at this, we can learn much about how to live the Christian life. I know so many people who were once in leadership and yet for all sorts of reasons ran out of motivation and didn't stay the course. And oh, there's something so important as you get older about finishing well. Now after 30 years, I I may be stepping down from senior church leadership, but I'm in no way, no way, no way stepping down from serving the Lord. It's a different thing altogether. Looking back, I realized how truly blessed I have been to be brought up in a, in a home where the will of God has always been the number one priority for my mom and dad. Always. And that has been their motivator throughout their lives, and they're still ticking along at 92. And they made some very, very sacrificial choices. And yeah, they got it wrong sometimes, but overall, the motivator that impacted my life and my brother's life and he's in ministry today was the will of God. Love for God has to be our motivator above all else. What motivates me? I love the Lord. And in making his will the priority of my life and once married... Nearly without realizing it, the, the, the love of God, the priority in our lives together, has always been to love the Lord in the good times and the bad times. It doesn't mean we've been perfect. I mean, you know, I, I will honor Jean and say I'm probably married to a perfect wife and the best mother there could be. I'd be lying. But, but. No, it's great. It's great. We've been married 45 years next April. It's great. And we work it out and wrestle it out and make decisions and learn lessons. And well, But overriding it all is the will of God and love for God. It has to be the, the biggest motivator in our lives. What does God want? How we've lived. And we've never regretted that for a moment. So to my last point, the joy of obedience. In the end, there's no greater joy than following Jesus, no greater joy than being born again and knowing we're children of God hidden in Christ. Nothing is more fulfilling than playing our part in God's wonderful plan. That's why I started when I said, the adventure continues. I mean it. It's an adventure. The adventure. Peter and Averill, your adventure's continuing, isn't it? You, you, you know, you go, oh, wow. You know, you think when you get to your age, I'm a little older than me, but you know, in my age, people say, well, it's time to put your feet up. It's time to rest. Rubbish. Absolute wrong. Beyond me, when you can get somebody who's been in ministry 30 years and then they, they say, oh, well, I'm done now, and literally stop. How can you do that? I don't get it at all. Don't understand it. Nothing more fulfilling than playing your part in God's purposes. God's got a plan. Isn't it great? And you might be saying today, well, I think I probably blew that then. Okay, start from where you are. God, God has a way with his grace of 
restoring the years the locusts have eaten, and says, from this day on, you can be on the adventure. Loving God. Playing your part. From this day on, you can do that. Wherever you've done, wherever you've been, however much you've failed, however stupid you've been, and we've all done all of those things, God's grace is sufficient and big enough to encompass us up in the outworking of his perfect plan. You can't undo history. You can't change the past. We can't live lives full of regret. We have to say, God, I'm sorry. Let his grace deal with us and then move on. We are not victims of the past. Jesus dealt with it. We're children of God. His grace makes us strong. It frees us up. And you know what? He is strong in our weakness anyway. It's wonderful. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily clings and let us run with perseverance the race that's set out for us looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God consider him get your eyes on Jesus consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Now, yes, obedience to the Father, love for the Father, but what's the joy? A bride. Guys, do do you remember, those of you who are married, do do you remember when you're pursuing your bride? No, it's clearly the novelty's worn off. (laughs) Looking around. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was okay, I suppose. I remember. My view had been, because I was very shy, but my view was, I was only 17, I prayed and said, God, your, your will... I want to be married, but I want it to be your wife, uh, the, the, the lady you have for me. And my, my attitude was, and if she wants me, can you make her come and get me, please? It was my prayer. Because <laughs> I'm shy. And she did. I looked at Jean across the room. <laughs> it was a meeting like this. And I was on the platform playing the Salvation Army Band, and Jean was sitting down there in the middle somewhere, and I looked and thought, no, too old for me. And, and <laughs> she is 18 months older, but, you know, I just, that was, that was, whew. and Jean looked at me. <laughs> and said, I'm going to marry him. I didn't know. I'm going to marry him. But then Jean's prophetic. And then my best friend took her out. It was rather embarrassing because I kept getting invited along and it became a trio. And I remember sitting in the wimpy bar, saying with Mick, who was my best friend, and Jean, 
And I said, guys, I shouldn't be here. And Jean said, why not? It relieves the monotony. And, and <laughs> oh, I remember those days really well. You know, you, you work it out, and I'm thinking, oh, oh. oh. And then I, I remember Jean was nursing in London, and we went down. A group of us from the church, from the Salvation Army in Luton, went down to hear Billy Graham. And Jean met us there, and we he had a queue at Earl's Hall. And... Uh, all the way down, my friend Mick kept saying, I don't think she loves me. And I'm saying, yeah, you'll be fine. I, don't, I really don't think she loves me. Like, anyway, we get down there and he, they get on the tube and we, we, we get off the tube. I, I find standing, Jean standing beside me in the queue all evening and she sat beside me all evening. And my friend was nowhere to be seen. And, and then that night when we got home, my friend was actually staying at our house because his parents were away and... I said, I'm sorry, I said, well, we got on the tube, but she basically told me to get lost. Oh, really? She pursued me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Took a lot of pressure off. Didn't have to worry too much about rejection. Isn't God good? Isn't the Father good in answering my prayer? But you know what you've got to do? You've got to wait. Most guys go out like a bull in a china shop saying, I'll try looking at any girl, I want to take girls out. Just wait. Ask God, because God has a plan. And it's a better one than yours that will ever be. And so, never regretted it. She's never, ever regretted it. Can we ask Jean? You can ask Jean. And neither have I. It's great. And somehow we've been able to model that the will of God is the most important thing in life. And we're very blessed because both our children love Jesus. That, that's the will of God. Parents, model, model to your family that the will of God is the most important thing in life. Love for him is the most important thing. The father's will was this, that his son would have a perfect bride. Now, I, I, this, that language doesn't fit too well with me. I wedding dresses and things because I'm part of the bride but, but you've got to get you got bigger in the concepts here this is the bride for the son the purpose of it all in my opinion as far as I can see there's a bride Jesus took it all because there's a bride waiting he won his bride by being obedient to the father the church is the bride of Christ you and I, he, we are set before him. We are the joy that is set before him. We are his and he is ours forever. Isn't that wonderful? And we will rule and we will reign with him forever in all the outworking of his glorious plans. It's not just, oh, I needed saving and, 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 and so Jesus died for me. Yes, that's a pivotal part of it. But it's bigger. It's bigger. It's God's eternal purpose being worked out on earth. And we can only dream. We can see through a glass darkly. We can't fully imagine how glorious and how wonderful that is. And we get to be a part of it 
now. That's where, where we started. We get to be a part of it now. Hallelujah. We are the joy set before Jesus. And he's the bridegroom. And he is the joy set before us. Hallelujah. There's a day coming when we'll meet him. Obedience to the Lord is what you and I were made for. Obedience to the Lord is where we find joy and fulfillment. Obedience to the Lord is where we find and will fulfill our destiny, which is to be part of the beautiful bride of Christ forever. He's coming one day, maybe soon, and there will be such a wedding. We're already seated with him in heavenly places, the Bible tells us, but on that day, when he comes again, it won't be like, maybe, wonder how that looks, it'll be, wow, it's better than I thought. His name, our, bri- our bridegroom, his name is Jesus, and the culmination of his will Uh, Sorry, the culmination of the will of the Father is fast approaching and we will rule and reign with him. Can't wait. I'll even have a glorified body. (laughs) Jesus will take our breath away. He'll take our breath away. But you know what? This is the strangest thing. We will take his breath away. A bride prepared and ready. That's us being made ready. And the trumpet will blow and there will be such a wedding. Wow. Very near the end of his life, I'm just about done, the Apostle Paul could write this to Timothy in in 2 Timothy uh, 4, 7 and 8. He said, I have fought the good fight. And I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what would I say to you, Jubilee, as I, I finish my leadership here, and as you probably don't hear from me for months, Simple, really. Make right choices. Love the Lord your God. This is the motivator of the right choices. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Make his will your will every day as far as you're able Give Jesus and his kingdom central place in your life and in your lives together, in your families. That's what I say. And I'm going to read a hymn to you, which I actually went to two weeks ago whenever I preached last. I just did the first verse, but I thought I'll I'll read it all and then we're done. But it probably sums up my life and Jean's life, stumbling along as though we do. But I commend this to you as, as a right choice. 
all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence, daily live. All to Jesus, I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me holy. Make me, Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit, truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. And all to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to his name. I surrender all, not a little bit, all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Saviour. I surrender all. There's no other way to live. That's what you were made for. Hallelujah. Isn't it good? Isn't it great? This isn't, oh, isn't it awful? No, Jesus made some choices in a garden 2,000 years ago. which allows us to stand here today as children of God and commit to making right choices every day of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord Jesus, we honor you for the choices you've made, for the submission to the will of the Father. Father, we, we don't understand such love that gives your perfect best that we could also become children of God. All we can say is thank you. Lord, I pray what I've shared today may burn in our hearts and in our minds and cause us to think about every day about the choices we make. Lord, I pray your blessing upon Jubilee Church Teesside. I pray you prosper it. I pray you grow it. I pray many people will be saved and added. Many people will be joined to it. I pray it will grow and multiply and multiply because, Jesus, you're building your church, and nothing, nothing can stand against that. So we love you, and we bless you, and we give you praise. Amen. And I'm done. Thank you. Dan can come up, that would be great. We're going to do exactly what Paul has exhorted us to. We're going to worship this God.